Hey, welcome to Life 2.0 Podcast. I'm John St. Augustine. Glad to have you joining me from anywhere and everywhere around planet Earth. Time to go up the down staircase in the outdoor. Make sense out of the senseless. If at all possible, we'll find the obvious buried in the absurd. Hold on to your lug nuts. It's time for a friggin' overall. back to the place we do a little digging if you get my drift see if we can find something of value on a very frozen Saturday morning so it's cold here in Chicago it's cold just about everywhere across the country and in some parts around the world Uh, but it's January not a big surprise here if it was June I'd say we're up shit creek kids but it's January and I'm thinking of the many January's past where it was so cold You know, you don't even want to go outside because if you take a deep breath, your nostrils will get stuck together. I've had a few of those times. So on one hand, because we got two, let's play them both. On one hand, yeah, it's cold. And yeah, you got to be smart. And you got to protect yourself. Uh, But on the other hand, a little perspective is always in order. So here in Chicago right now, it is 15 degrees and clear at uh, 6.38 in the morning. And Meridian. And not too far away. Over in Mount Washington, which is a peak in New Hampshire to the east of me, which sits up at 6,288.2 feet, the most topographically prominent mountain east of the Mississippi River, uh, which is notorious for its erratic weather. That's why they put a weather station up there. At this very moment, it's 104 below zero with the wind chill. Now, last that's, that's warming up. It's warming up because last night, about six hours ago, the coldest ever wind chill in the USA was recorded at 109 below zero. The coldest air temperature was 47 below zero up on Mount Washington. I happened to catch a couple videos this morning because I know that I'm a weather geek because I I don't know. I mean, spending a lot of time on something we can't control seems a little frivolous to me, but I'm interested in the weather patterns and there's a difference between weather and climate, which I could do 16 shows on and I'm not going to start getting into that direction today. But there's a big difference between weather that you're experiencing where you live like 17 degrees here or so in Chicago in this uh, early morning. And over at Mount Washington, it's 104 below zero (laughs) in chill. Um, That's fascinating to me. But climate, of course, is the whole planet. So again, that's for a different conversation. But it's all about perspective, right? So while it's cold here and a bit frosty in the highly respected and uh, off-traveled Aurora Media Production studio, uh, it's nowhere near as bad as it is in on Mount Washington. And I was watching these videos of this guy up there at the weather station, nice young fella, uh, standing outside, twirling some sort of, you know, meter that he had to see how how cold it was apparently. So he's standing outside of the shack that is frozen solid. It looks like, you know, something you'd see out of a science fiction movie the day after or whatever once the global climate collapses. And uh, he's out there swinging this thing around. And, he, you know, you can hardly tell it's a human. But then he gets inside, says, yeah, it's the coldest they've had, blah, blah, blah. And I'm thinking it reminds me of when these typhoons come and the hurricanes come and the tornadoes come and, and the, they stick the weather guy or the weather lady or the weather person out to stand in the elements as if we don't know it's bad enough. We got to see them get knocked around like a Cupid doll. Anyway, and if you don't know what a Cupid doll is, I'm sorry, you're going to have to go look that up. But that's not what I want to talk about today. 
what's on my mind has been marinating for about three days since I uh, checked in with an old friend of mine who I've known for many years, uh, very near and dear to me, and he was on my mind. Uh, and when that happens, somebody crosses my, my, my cranial path there, I tend to either make a side note to call him or I just follow it up, you know, instinctively. And I've been thinking about him for a couple of weeks, on and off, popping in and popping out. So finally I called, left him a voicemail. And the thing about this guy is that we are such good friends. The voicemails we leave, you don't want to, they could never air. I mean, they might be able to air here, but even they'd be offensive to some degree on this uh, sacred microphone. Uh, it's very colorful to say the least. He's a former vet, you know, Marine Corps guy, an Air Force guy, did both uh, services. And uh, I was in the Coast Guard for you know four years plus two in, in the reserve. So we talk a bit in salty language if you get my drift. But it's all in good nature and it's all in brotherly love and we have a fun time doing it. And so I left him a voicemail, but I didn't feel like leaving him the usual uh, colorful verbiage that I normally would. I just felt something was different. And so I just typed him to give me a call, this and that. So he called me back on Wednesday and I, you know, hey, how you doing? And immediately he says, not good. I mean, there was no playing around with it. I'm not good. Things are not good. And he goes on to tell me in very low voice and hushed tone that his wife has been diagnosed with ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. And my heart sank. These are great people. Uh, they've been through a lot. Their daughter was killed in an auto accident when she was 16. She would have been 37 this past week. So it's been a while. doesn't change the fact that she's gone, but it, time has, has marched on as it always does. And they went through that and uh, just, again, fantastic human beings. And after months of trips back and forth to Mayo Clinic, uh, she's been diagnosed with ALS and it's confirmed. And the difficulties have already started showing up in her, in her life, the, the speech and the way she moves and things like that. And I was at a loss for words, even though I felt something was going on it surely wasn't in that direction to that degree. So after collecting myself, we, we talked a little bit and and uh, about all that and, and what's ahead for him. And he, he was talking about, you know, the great difficulty in this. There's no cure for ALS. Uh, they are doing research all the time, but when something like this is put upon you or discovered in you, that's the first place you go. Well, they're doing research and something might pop and save us. And there are some drugs that can kind of push back on the symptoms a little bit, but the outcome is assured in this. And they've given her a window of 24 to 48 months of life. And this is a guy who, after his daughter died, uh, was able to come out and tell me that, uh, you know, he's become a different man because of his daughter's death, a better man. But the price of admission was too high. He should have just figured that out on his own before all this. And, you know, and so that's all in hindsight. And he was talking about how unimaginable it is to him that if that timeline holds up to be true, he will then become a single man by himself. He will be a, a widower. And putting those words together in sentences for him was halting. It's very difficult. So he'd been calling some friends and he had missed me a couple of weeks ago, which kind of verifies the fact that we were both thinking about each other and this is what was going on. And so, you know, I uh, tried to steer it around. There's nothing to be said, first of all. 
you know, as well as, 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 well as I think I can uh, interpret s situations and things like that, this is something that has no answer to it. There is nothing to push back. There's no greater good being served here at this point with this diagnosis. And he is not about a rallying cry kind of guy anyway. There's no, you know, you can fight this in the battle. You know, he, none of that came out of his mouth. He just said, this is the way that it is. And in that acceptance, I think there's great power and strength that this is the way that something is. It is not something else. This is it. So we talked for a little while. I told him that I loved him and, and he told me that he loved me. And I asked him to pass along to his lovely bride uh, the same and um, hope to see him in a few months uh, and, and keep in touch. Of course, we do that by phone. And then, of course, it got my mind started rolling about a lot of other things that are connected to a diagnosis like that. And I went right back to 2018 before the pandemic when I was in Ontario, Canada, and I gave this TEDx talk called Human Math. And it is something that I'm constantly pushed back to, this concept and idea about life expectancy, which is one thing, you know, the, the, and I'll get to this in a couple of minutes about, maybe not a couple of minutes, might be a couple of seconds, about how life expectancy in this country has dropped precipitously after the pandemic compared to the other peer group worlds we live with, like Germany and the UK and, and those kind of uh, societies that are they're much like ours to a greater or lesser degree, how their life expectancy dropped then started to bounce back. Anyway, it's dropped precipitously. And we are now at just under, I believe, 79, under 78.1 years, uh, which is life expectancy in the United States. It's dropped off after, since 1996, down, downward trend, pops up, pops down, pops up, pops down. And so after the pandemic, the average human in this country at this point can expect to live 27,740 days. 27,740 days you get if all the trends hold and if you're lucky enough not to go on that, you know, um, shark expedition and cut your leg while you're in the water or something, uh, that's what you could get. That's the life expectancy at this point in the United States of America. 27,740 days. I don't count it by years because years seem to me so uh, broad and um, impersonal. But days, I suppose I could break it down to seconds and minutes and hours. But the days that we have, the days of our lives, uh, has, has a feel for me, a, a tactile piece where this is my day. And, you know, here it is in Chicago. The sun is coming up. It's going to warm up near 40 today. We'll be all dancing in the streets. It's, again, it's a perspective thing. It's amazing when it's 15, 16, 17 degrees, it goes to 40, I'm wearing shorts. If it's 60 and it goes to 40, I'm freezing my ass off. So it's all relative. But what is it relative to me to a greater or lesser degree, which is a little bit uh, uh, kind of skirting the issue, I guess, but I'll, I'll do the best I can with it, is that you have 27,740 days to be alive. What are you going to do with that? And here is this friend of mine who has been given this time frame of when their life may end, a definitive time frame. So now I'm 64 years old. There are only a couple people in my family tree that lived past 80. I mean, very few. So I'm thinking 15, 16 years tops, if I'm lucky, if it all works out. You know, we, we come in on time and I've, I've come to this deep conviction for me that this is just for me, that we leave on time. 
both of those are negotiable, I suppose, except for how you got here. You know exactly when you showed up. You have a birth certificate. Everybody does. Shows exactly when you got here, where you showed up, what time, how much you weighed, what your footprint looked like, and the doc signs off on it. But you don't get to see the death certificate because only your family gets to see that. That says, here's when they left, and here's the place that they left, and here's the time that they left, and here's the reason they left, the cause of death. And I've always maintained that cause of life is far more important than cause of death. We're all going to die. Bottom line. You know, the, the people who are really into numbers, you know, I, I like some of this stuff, this breaking years down into days thing. But the estimate is since the beginning of recorded history, there's been about 72 billion people that have been born, have lived their time, and have gone. And the minute you show up on the planet, you're already on the way out. Somewhere in my observation, experience, and opinion is the exit sign. We just don't know where it's at or how it is or when. And in the case of someone like my friend who the medical professionals say, here's when your exit could be. This is the time frame we're giving you. And so what are you going to do with that? You know, when I went to sleep last night, I couldn't help thinking about them. How do you just go to sleep? Do you just watch The Late Show and think, I mean, I don't know how you do that. And I have friends of mine who have gone through these terminal illness uh, pathways with their loved ones. I've done it with my dad to some degree. And it wasn't a definitive out. It was like you could just see this gradual decline. But to someone like my friend who they say, here's the time frame, here's the window. It reminded me of a woman that I worked with in the same building way back in the day when I was on the air in Michigan. And she was in the office across from me. I don't recall her name. Carol, Dr. Carol, can't remember her last name. Just a vivacious, vibrant she was a psychiatrist and uh, had a great thriving practice. And uh, one day she knocks on my door and she comes in. Can I talk? Sure. Well, she sits down, starts talking. And she says, I wanted you to know, because I've told a lot of people that I know, that uh, I've been given a terminal uh, illness decision, basically, is how she said it. It was a decision that somewhere in the ether, uh, her time is now up. And they gave her, I think, six months to live. It was a cancer. And she was lit up like a Christmas tree. And I said, Carol, I, I, I don't know what to say. And she said, this is a gift to me. I'm like, hold on a second. Hold on. How is this terminal diagnosis that you're sitting here telling me, having your eyes so bright, so upright, you're just more alive than I've seen you in months because you're working so much? She said, that's the point. She says, this diagnosis has brought me back to life. And I think she was onto something. I'll never forget this image of her maybe two, three weeks later. And I was coming out of the building where I do the show on Ludington Street in Escanaba, Michigan, the bustling metropolis of Escanaba, Michigan. And I remember looking down the street as I was walking up the building in my car and seeing Carolyn, you know, her, her guy, I can't remember if it was her husband or boyfriend or significant other. And they were walking across the street and she was jubilant and, and, and lit up and beaming. And I thought she was given the diagnosis that this impending decision was coming for her. And she wasn't going to get out of this one. And I thought, that's, I guess, how you do it. And so how do we take these examples, at least I can apply this to myself, and say, you know, I'm, I'm looking at maybe 16 years. 
if I'm lucky. Maybe it's more. Maybe it's a hell of a lot less. Could be at 3 o'clock this afternoon. If you hear this and I'm gone at 3, ooh. <laughs> but I think that's how you do it. And everybody, I guess, does it differently. And the fact that, you know, we're all circling the bowl round and round and round. We just never know when the flush is coming should be cause for celebration and to be alive fully. And yet so much of our lives are bullshit, mundane, uh, majoring in minor things, uh, putting up with nonsense and crap from people we shouldn't and not living our lives in a way that we should. I'm not just sitting here pontificating, bloviating, and just verbally you know, defecating to impress anyone, especially myself. There's been times I thought, I don't need this. And I'm running out of time. And since the hourglass is flipped and I don't know when the sand's gone, I need to get moving a little bit. And it comes and goes. You know, when it's cold like this out, I get a little cranky or a little ornery or I slow down a little bit. I just want to be warm and uh, all that goes along with it. Maybe I should be living in like uh, Bali or something. I'd be a happier fella because my knee joints wouldn't hurt. But I digress. But the point being is we're all terminal. Life itself is a terminal condition. Life is a terminal condition and nobody gets out of it alive. No one ever, ever, ever. And some people will get 27,740 days on the nose and some people will get 14,800 and some people will get 19,200. When I did that Ted talk in Ontario, I don't recall all the numbers. Obviously it's a few years ago. I'd have to go find the, uh, the PowerPoint deck that I used, but I went through a list of John Lennon and, and other people that had, you know, only lived a certain amount of time, far less than the life expectancy, but they did so much. They did so much with their lives. And we don't all have to be obviously, you know, world stage performers, but just think about that thing that since there's no guarantee you're going to be here tomorrow, or even later today, how you do this day is vitally important or not. And people don't give a shit that, you know, it's all a choice, right? So Carol, my friend who passed away many years ago, who sat in front of me at my desk, lit up like a Christmas tree, just, just so excited that somehow this was a gift to her. You can juxtaposition that with somebody who has, you know, something far less imparted them uh, health-wise, and they think it's the end of the world. But, you know, we all take it on in our own way. So when I'm doing this show this morning, it's a huge reminder to myself about today uh, and, and, and how I will use this day. And, and my life expectancy being one thing, but what does life expect from me is another. So here I am, early morning. It's getting brighter. It might get a little warmer. Maybe it went up a degree. Let me just check over, see what's going on in Mount Washington. If it's any warmer over on Mount Washington, it is, uh, it's up to 108 now, below zero. So it's warming up. It was 104 below zero. Now it's 108 below zero. No, that's the other way. That ain't good. <laughs> must have been a wind gust and that poor guy out there with that little barometer thing spinning around and thing and that's what you give an intern the job for so when i'm looking at all this i think about so much of what i've done over the years has come out of this urgency to be alive and it's hard for me not to think about uh, the people that are gone from my life and how much time they had. And, and just a couple days ago, a, a cousin of mine in Wisconsin sent me a bunch of pictures. Those are my parents and her parents and their, you know, friends' parents and cousins' parents. All of them gone. All of them gone. I have my Aunt Patty and my Uncle Ray, God bless him, are the only two left 
on my mom's side really uh, from that whole crew that, that you know, uh, inhabited the Fox Valley uh, near the Wolf River for so many years. And they're both in their mid to late 80s. And I called the other day and I, and I talked to Aunt Patty, who's just a delight. Um, and uh, the sad part is both she and Uncle Ray lost all three of their children within the last five years. They were all in their late 50s, early 60s. They all died of cancer. I didn't even know how you handle that. I don't know what you do with that. I don't know where you park it. I don't know if you unpack it. And they've come to nothing with that except they live with the unease and unrest to know that they've outlived their kids. So I call them a little extra just to check in on them and see how they're doing and poke at them a little bit, get them laughing and, and do what I can to make their day a little bit brighter than it was before I you know, picked up the phone. And I asked how they were doing. And now Uncle Ray's got to be 86. I think Andy Pat is 87. And uh, she said, well, you really need to put down some good thoughts for your Uncle Ray. I'm like, oh, Jesus, what happened? She says, well, he's uh, got a cataract. And he, they, they, put, you know, they did cataract surgery on him. And come to find out he couldn't see before. <laughs> he was driving a dump truck for so many years. I guess it's been going on for a long time. And I said, well, God, you know, I'm, just, I'm glad that he got this done. So here's a man who's 86 getting his cataract taken care of so he could probably watch TV better, reruns of Sanford and Son. And I said, well, you know, last summer we were up and had a nice family dinner with the cousins that are left. And, and Auntie Pat and Uncle Ray, we had them there at the dinner, kind of the guests of honor. And I said, we're going to do this again. We, you know, time's of the essence. And when it warms up, we'll come up and, and uh, we'll all go to dinner again and to Georgia's Steakhouse uh, right there on the Fox River and have a great, great meal. And she says, well, I'll have new teeth by then. It'll be fantastic. So sometimes I think we need to find those little things in the big things. So on one hand, devastating grief for these two. They've buried three of their children, all in their 50s and 60s, Tommy, Pammy, and Julie. And not just about a year ago, I had another cousin passed away, 63 at the time. And, you know, so, so he didn't get 27,740 days. Neither did Tom or Pam or Julie. They didn't get that much. They had what they had. And so I, I'm working backwards on most things, which I don't know works for everybody, but it works for me. And so when I got up this morning and I was thinking about getting behind the microphone, and uh, the call with my friend the other day and how this is a universal theme, whether we like it or not, with it, for anybody. It doesn't matter where you live, how much money you have, how you vote, what color your skin is, what sex you are, your political affiliation, your religious affiliation. You're going to die. I'm going to die. Everything dies. And that's where the rebirth comes as the assembly line keeps going. So what do you do with the dash in the middle? What do you do with that, that, that little tiny piece uh, that, that defines, I guess, to some greater or lesser degree, the time that we're here. And so for me, I like to think that I'm using it up uh, is what I was given to do, to use it up. You know, I have people say, how do you stay so busy? I'm like, what am I going to do? Sit down and watch reruns of Jerry Springer? I mean, come on, so use it up, find your gift, bring it to the world. I, I was with a friend of mine the other day who I went to high school with. I stopped over there and uh, we got some projects going with our alumni. I went up to the fifth floor and he, uh, he teaches band and music to uh, a bunch of kids who probably could care less about band and music. But to watch him go through his paces and the intensity he brings and the love he has for music and these kids, whether they know it or not, inspires me. He's using it up. So it is about finding that thing or things you're here to do and then do that and use it up. I'm working on a, a book just about finished with all the revisions uh, for a wonderful author. 
and Michelle Phillips, and her book will be out at some point this year. It's called Energy Rules, so you're getting a little heads up in there. There's kind of a double entendre there, double meaning, energy rules, and here's the energy rules for life kind of thing. And I just finished working on a chapter yesterday where she talks about what we focus on. Now, again, this is nothing new. If you're someone who's fairly well-read, you must know at some point that there are things that work for you and things that don't, and figuring out what those things are should be paramount, and the ones that don't work for you, you kind of let those go. And Michelle was pointing about something that Wayne Dyer would talk about, which is the control we have over things and things that we don't have control over. And Wayne was a big proponent, as is Michelle, of making a list to decide that, because if you just stick it in your brain, it'll never get out of there. It's too confounding and muddling and there's all kind of shit flying around our head. So you take a piece of paper and you draw a line, you know, vertically right down the middle. And on the left side, you write control. And on the other side of that line, you write no control. And then you proceed to list everything you have control over in your life, your attitude, what you eat, the people you hang out with, how much water you drink, how you drive to work, the things you have control over. And you, and you complete that list best you can. Then you start writing about things you have no control over, like the Chinese weather balloon over Montana that we're all talking about. Uh, I got no control over that. Or one of the Congress people getting kicked off a committee. Don't have any control over that. And 99.9% .9 of what goes on in the world listing on the right-hand side, we have zero control over. The weather for sure, the thing we talk about most but do nothing about. Can't warm it up on Mount Washington no matter how much I tried. And so all this information on the right-hand side is there are the things we have zero control over. And when you sit back and look at them, you start to realize, at least it, this exercise for me has always done this, is like I'm putting my attention in the wrong place. The headlines are on the right side, things you have no control over. The lifelines are on the left side, things you do have control over. And because of the insistence of the media, and so much unsocial and social media that's pushing itself towards us all the time, we are constantly being pulled away from the lifelines, things I have control over, to the headlines, things I have zero control over. Apparently Kim Kardashian lost 20 pounds. Good for her. And here's the diet you could use too. No thanks. So basic is about perspective, is it not? We all come here. At some point, you must know you're on the way out. Some of us get 27,740 days. Some of us get 32,380 days. Some of us get 16 days. Nobody knows why. Nobody. Nobody. So how you live the dash, if you're fortunate enough to still be here upright and breathing today, it's a gift. And I think part of, for me, part of accepting all this is the surrender to the fact that it's true that no matter how I try, I used to get in this argument with Dr. Oz all the time. I, I, I produced his show for Oprah Radio for four years and we had some really interesting conversation back before he was running for office and all the stuff we saw last year. And Oz would always talk about, and to his credit, he was a heart surgeon, he was a cardiologist. And so he did heart transplants, things like that, saved a lot of people's lives, very impressive at that. And he would talk about how much you have to do to stay alive and how important that was. And I agree with you. I mean, that's, you know, I go to the gym, I try to eat well, drink a lot of water, all that kind of stuff. And then I'd always add the caveat, yeah, and you can get run over by a bus tomorrow. And so I'm saying eat the Girl Scout cookies today because you never know what tomorrow's going to bring. Everything in moderation. And in all of that, I think about uh, that whole concept of life expectancy and what I expect out of life and what life expects out of me. It's a blank slate every day. 
It's a blank slate every single day. And it heartens me to think that. Now, there are times I wish my life had been a little bit more structured. I've followed the road less traveled more times than I can count. Kind of always brings me back to the same place, but my life has been enriched because of it. The people I've met, the places I've gone, the things I've had the chance to do, so far away from the kid I was when I grew up on the northwest side of Chicago. It's amazing to me. And yet there's this other piece of me that longs for a little bit of uh, stability when it comes to uh, knowing exactly what's going to happen every single day. My friend who teaches music knows exactly what's going to happen for the most part every single day. There's some comfort in that. But I'm built for this other stuff. I've been doing it for a long time. Uh, it's familiar to me, uh, this entrepreneurship type of thing. And uh, I always kind of feel like, uh, you know, the, the guy that goes out on the horse ahead of everybody else and, you know, I'll take care of business. I don't run with the crowd. And that works for me. But there are times, I got to tell you, that it's like, eh, it'd be nice not to have to do that. But that's not the life I chose, and that's not the life that chose me. And so in all of this, thinking about my friend and his wife and uh, what comes for them is what comes for all of us. And if we can be, as my friend Carol was, jubilant about an impending life sentence as opposed to seeing it as a pending death sentence, I think that's where the power really resides. It's all about that surrender to something that's greater than us. Because the bottom line among all bottom lines is you come in on time and you leave on time. That's not as important as what you do with the time that you're given. And so until next time, be well, safe travel, stay warm, keep the faith.
Chance 